there are moments that are so sweet in the spirit, uh, such as that, when we get a glimpse of what heaven will look like with all the nations. Thanks, Pono. I was not expecting that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let me compose myself here. Uh, well, good morning. Have you ever seen infomercials? One of my two favorite infomercials is Flex Seal, right? Which, you know, that guy is just great. Slap it on the, you know, hole. And has anybody used Flex Seal or Flex Tape or any of the Flex products? Yeah, yeah. They, they actually work. They're, they're, pretty, they're pretty impressive. Or another one that goes back a little while when I was younger, the ShamWow commercial, right? He kind of looked like me, you know, with a little headset and, you know, was kind of crazy. Well, no matter which uh, infomercial is one of your favorites, if you have one, maybe they annoy you, but they all have this one phrase in common. Can you guess what it is? But wait, there's more. That's right. But wait, there's more, right? Well, this morning, fair warning, in today's message, there's going to be a couple, but wait, there's more moments. And so just to give you that fair warning, I don't want to give you any like, you know, wounds, you know, re refresh wounds from infomercials in the past. But last week, we, we began our Advent series on the fourfold gospel. Uh, and last week, we focused on finding hope in Jesus, our Savior. In the Alliance, we, we called the fourfold gospel, uh, is represented, excuse me, by our logo, uh, which you can see on the, the wall here. Uh, and last week, we focused on the cross, which, yeah, it works, all right. Uh, last week, we focused on the cross, which represents Christ our Savior. And we focused on finding hope in Jesus our Savior as we looked at the promise of a child who would become king and the hope that he alone would bring. This week, we're going to be continuing our study, this time focusing on Jesus our sanctifier. Now, I'm not a gambling man, but I'm willing to bet that a large majority of you do not use the word sanctify or sanctification often or at all, unless you're from the district office. <laughs> and to be fair, it is a Christianese kind of word that is not used regularly outside of Christian circles and for that reason, not many of us understand what sanctification is or what it means. And if we don't understand sanctification, we won't understand the need for Jesus to be our sanctifier. So this morning, my goal is to help us understand the meaning of sanctification, why we need Jesus to be our sanctifier, and lastly, how we find peace in Jesus, our sanctifier. So if you would, pray with me as we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, come before you this morning, and Lord, your, your spirit is evident. You are moving in this place, and we are so gracious and humbled that you would love us so. This morning, Lord, as we continue to worship you in your word, in the proclaiming of your word, and the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you in a new way. Lord, that you would unplug our ears so that we could hear what you have to say to each one of us. Lord, give us a supple heart that would be moldable and transformable 
so that we could be more and more transformed into your likeness and image, Lord. Lord, I, I also pray that this morning's message would not just be a time of us sitting together as, as people obedient to listening to your word proclaimed, but that this would be a moment that would transform us from the inside out, that we would take this very message of, of peace into our community, Lord, that we would be peace to our neighbors as you continue to move in and through and among us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the meaning of sanctification. In the Alliance, we believe, our belief is that Jesus is our sanctifier. It's represented by the labor uh, in our logo. And in the bulletin, I apologize that I oversaw this, uh, this was a slight oversight, that I still had the cross highlighted. So if you have a pen or a pencil, you can highlight the wine glass looking lo part of the logo, because that's the one we're actually focusing on this morning. Kind of looks like a wine glass. Uh, it's actually a laver or a basin. And it's actually a reference to Old Testament scripture. Uh, and the basin was located in the tabernacle. It was filled with water and it was used for washing. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open up to Exodus chapter 30. We're going to be starting our time together in the Word here in Exodus 30, verses 17 to 21. This will kind of explain the labor. The Lord said to Moses, you shall make... A basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord they shall wash with water so that they may not die they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. So we see that in this passage of scripture that there were instructions that were given to Moses regarding the priests and their practice of uh, washing in this basin or this laver before entering the tent of meeting or approaching the altar to burn a food offering. What would this look like? So here's a picture that I found online that has the tent of meeting recreated. And you can see here this little pedestal with a bowl on top. That is this basin that is explained here. And it was between the altar where burnt sacrifices would be and the holy place, the tabernacle. And the idea of the laver or basin was to wash clean the priest, right? The, the, the laver speaks of holiness. So, what does this have to do with the alliance? Well, we, we look at this symbol as holiness and sanctification and, and find that it applies to Christ our sanctifier. And, and my hope is as we unpack this this morning, you're going to see these connections. 
And so let's define sanctification if that's really what this uh, laver or wine glass symbol means. We need a definition. Sanctification is the process of being set apart or being made holy or becoming more like Christ. So when you hear the word sanctification, it, it means this, that we're being set apart, being made more holy, right? Or becoming more like Jesus himself. But wait, there's more. Not only does sanctification mean that we're being set apart and being made more holy and becoming more like Christ, not only does it mean that, it's also God's will for your life to be sanctified. And it always has been. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we see that, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20, 26 says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So not only is sanctification the very act of being set apart and becoming holy, it's actually God's will for your life to do so. But wait, there's more. Not only is sanctification being set apart and God's will for your life, sanctification is also tied in with salvation. In fact, sanctification begins the moment a believer surrenders their life to Christ through repentance. And from that point forward is the process of being saved until we're taken home and glorified. In other words, sanctification begins at salvation and is the very journey we find ourselves as believers becoming more like Jesus until we're taken home. But wait, there's more. Not only is sanctification defined as being set apart and God's will for your life and tied to salvation, when we talk about sanctification, we, we're really talking about the sanctified life or another word for that, another phrase for that is the spirit-filled life, which equips us for serving God. We're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not optional. It's a command. It says, be filled. Okay? Now, to unpack that a little bit, this is not talking about filling of a cup. When, when Scripture says, be filled, it's not talking about pouring water into a cup. It's not a measurement. The context of that verse is about control, okay? So what happens when one is full of wine or any other alcohol or mind-altering substance? You lose control of your faculties, right? You can't think straight. You're not yourself. You, you're not in control anymore. Whatever's going on as a side effect of that drug or alcohol is now controlling you. So don't get drunk with wine. Don't allow that to control you, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled, surrendered by the Holy Spirit. 
And this isn't an option. This is, this is a command to be filled. And we call this the spirit-filled life. So the meaning of sanctification is the being set apart, being made more holy, becoming more like Christ. It's God's will for your life that that is the case. It's tied in with salvation, and we call it the spirit-filled life. And we're actually commanded to surrender control to the Holy Spirit to allow that to happen. And that's all fine and dandy, but why do we need Jesus to be our sanctifier? Well, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 9. And hopefully my bookmarks are still in here. If you'll read with me, starting, you can read to yourself in your Bibles, uh, starting at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We see here that Jesus, Jesus' blood not only washes us of our sins, but it's the very blood that allows us to be set apart and continue to be set apart because no other sacrifice could do so. Right? We see that because he lives in heaven and is the perfect sacrifice, he continues to make intercession on our behalf. And what I, what I found so important here is that not only does he do this, it's with purpose, right? He offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We need Jesus as our sanctifier because when we try to be our sanctifier, we fall short. Those, those sacrifices didn't work. We needed something more holy and more perfect, Jesus himself, to be the one. So now we'll, we'll move to finding peace in Jesus, our sanctifier. As I was sitting and wrestling with this message of sanctification and, and tying it into peace, I, I realized that this very process of sanctification has a problem for many believers. See, I think the problem is that many believers try to sanctify themselves through their works, through trying harder, trying to be holy, because we know the scriptures, we, we know those very, those very verses read earlier that God calls us to be holy like he is. And so we desperately try to be holy like he is. But the problem is, we do it under our own strength. And I think 
at some point in every believer's journey, every believer struggles with this one problem. By faith, we make the decision to surrender our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We trust in the promise by faith. Then somehow we start to believe the lie that now we have to make up for it. Now we, now we have to try harder. Now, now we have to prove to God that we actually deserved the gift that he gave freely to us because we start to believe this guilt lie from, you know, the deceiver or Satan himself. Some point in every believer's journey, we struggle with this. We struggle with this even though we know we came to Christ by faith alone, we start to feel guilty about that freely given gift because what a gift it is. And somewhere along the line, we get stuck in our own strengths trying to make up for that gift that we don't feel we deserve. Many believers today live their lives as defeated Christians. A defeated Christian is simply one who, under their own power, is trying to please God by behaving or being a good person, fill in the blank, and then fails to do so. Then believes they have messed up, and so they try harder next time. And around and around the merry-go-round they go. They try harder only to fail again and eventually hit rock bottom. It's this very struggle in the Christian walk that takes away our peace as believers that we ought to have. And it leads us into fear and anxiety and all sorts of despair, which is really the absence of peace. And then we feel guilty that we feel that way, <laughs> right? But I'm so thankful for Scripture where we get to see exactly this play out. So if you're not tired of turning, turn to Romans 7. See, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, had this very same struggle, right? Has this very same struggle. Romans 7, 15, Paul is speaking. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, 
who had this miraculous conversion where Jesus encountered him and blinds him. He gets knocked off the horse or the donkey or he falls over, however you interpret that, that part of scripture, who was once pursuing Christians and trying to capture them and kill them or, or take them to jail, has this conversion moment and immediately surrenders to Jesus as Lord. Somewhere down the line, he writes these very words to explain the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And I, for one, am so thankful that he found these words to write. Thank God that God gave him these words to write because it explains the very process that we go through. That even by faith, we find Jesus, but then if we don't learn how to walk in the spirit through sanctification, we find ourselves in our own strength, struggling and failing and feeling guilty to the point where we find ourselves just like Paul saying, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? In the Alliance, we call this moment, this very moment where, where Paul finds himself when he says, wretched man that I am. We call this the crisis moment of sanctification. We believe that in every believer's life, there's a moment in our faith beyond that first moment of salvation where we hit rock bottom. Or it might not even be tied to a crisis moment, but it's a desire for more. We realize when we read scripture that there's power in the spirit to be had for the believer, and we realize we're not experiencing that. And so it leaves us in a place where we're like, I... There's more out there for me. God has for me. We call this the crisis moment in sanctification. We believe in the alliance that every believer has this, both this crisis moment, and then from that moment, a progression. Galatians 2.20 says, this is Paul again, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse sums up the transformation that takes place in Paul's heart when he realizes it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives within me. And I, I have to live, even though I'm living in the flesh and have to face those temptations and those struggles, I'm going to live by faith in Jesus instead. First Peter 1, 2 says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. See, when we live our walk in our own strength, our peace leaves. The, peace, the very peace that Jesus himself offers freely to us. We find frustration when we're trying to live out the call that God has placed in each one of us when we're doing it in our own strength. And that peace fleets, it, it leaves. But, 1 Peter 1, 2 tells us that that peace comes back when we live under obedience to the Spirit in our life, right? It says, 
For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this brings us to kind of our focal point here on sanctification. Living a surrendered life to Jesus brings us peace. Because we can rest in the work that he alone has already done for us. Jesus' blood purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Friends, there, there is more to life in Jesus than the day of salvation. I'll repeat. There, there is more to life in Jesus than the day of salvation. Sanctification is the daily living under the power and control of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself sent to all believers. Jesus is our Savior and our sanctifier. And the reality is we need him every moment of every day to live the life he calls each one of us to live. And our response, my friends, is not to try harder. Our response is not to try harder. It is surrender to his will. And that's where our peace comes from, is through surrender. 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This time we're going to transition to our communion, time of communion. So I'm going to invite those who are going to help facilitate that. I uh, want to just, I know we have some, some guests here this morning. Uh, this is not Kashokton Alliance specific. If, if 